and welcome to Recovery Internet Radio, brought to you live and direct from Straight Stuff Studios. This is uh, episode number 72, if you're keeping track, that we're in our second year of shows. So thanks for listening. We're glad to have you. I, uh, we've got a great show for you. I just have a couple of announcements real quick before we get started. I'd like to mention our mentoring program that we've been involved with, uh, Rick and myself and, and several other great volunteers. It's called Sidekicks Mentoring. It's a youth mentoring program. It's a no-cost volunteer program designed to offer structure and support for maintaining a healthy and sober lifestyle. So come check us out. We can, uh, we've got our website up at sidekicksmentoring.org, uh, or you can give us a call at 815-451-7641. And I'm actually the one that has that phone, so you'll be talking to me. Uh, <laughs> so if you hear a familiar yeah. voice. <laughs> Are you on the radio? Yes, I am. Uh, internet radio, anyway. So uh, that's that's a great program, and uh, we're really proud of it. We were also we were in a parade a couple weeks ago. We we're uh, just trying to get the word out. So if you know anybody, um, maybe some some uh, some younger folks that that might be struggling or uh, at a point in their life where they need a positive influence, please give us a call. We'd be happy to help. Also, I'd like to mention uh, a friend of our, a friend of the show, Bob Harper, who is in a fantastic band called Double Take. They've got a gig coming up. I think uh, I got an email about it just yesterday, but they'll be playing. The El Sombrero Restaurant and Lounge, that's in, uh, that's in Mount Prospect. That's Saturday, August 10th. Check them out at doubletakechicago.com. And make sure you don't have your speakers up all the way because their music just starts playing, which is great. But, you know, it surprises me sometimes. <laughs> I believe it's a brick house Yeah. if you don't pay attention. She's a man. Um, yeah, I'm going to pass it over to Rick without any further ado. Take it away, sir. I will. But before I do. Before new, you do. New link. New link. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't finish doing my duties. Uh, yeah, do your duties. Yeah. Uh, we have um, at recoveryinternetradio.com. Our, our wonderful website. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to keep it updated and have added several new links in the past few weeks. Um, I think the, the second newest one we just added a couple of weeks ago is called drugdangers.com, mm-hmm. and it's uh, lots of great information if uh, you're looking for resources. There's also links to, to meetings, to therapists, to Did we get you the, name the, it. the sex addiction stuff up? That'll be up by, uh, by well, by the time you're hearing this show, actually. Okay, great. <laughs> don't want to give it away, but we are uh, pre-recording, so please yeah. don't call in tonight. Yeah. yeah, don't call in. Don't call in. Well, but we keep that on the low, on the down low. On the down low, yeah. Don't call in. Yeah. It's live, quote, unquote. Um, yeah, okay. So, yeah, check out our check out our uh, webpage, recoveryinternetradio.com. Um, for the new links, uh, like I said, we try to keep that updated. And also, it's got a link to all of our archived shows. You can link to the show that's playing right this minute. Um, and lots of other good stuff. You can see a picture of Rick. Yeah. Being all hosty. Yep. All right, we'll get to it then. Okay, let's get to it. Okay, I'm going to be hosty now. Uh, one quick thing. Our, um, um, I guess it was about a month or so ago I had heard that a guy named Jim Nader um, mm-hmm. had passed away. He was uh, the host of a public radio show that had started in Chicago called The Magnificent Obsession. And The Magnificent Obsession... A lot of people didn't know about it because it played like Sunday morning at like five o'clock, and the reason it played Sunday morning at five o'clock, it, it, at least as, as far as I, as far as the mythology has has uh, you know um, drifted down to me, is because that's when the drunks were coming home from the bars, and you know Jim had a special place in his heart for 
for uh, people like that. And in mm. fact, the show mm. was stories of people, and it started in Chicago. And I think it had been become more than just a Chicago show. I don't know how far it had syndicated, but anyway, I had listened to it quite a few years ago, on and off. And yeah. then they ran the show. Um, they started running the show again at a more human time, <laughs> and so like I think it got, a, got started getting a few more listeners. But um, uh, he also was involved in production of that show, the the idiotic music show or something like that. Irritating, uh, annoying music. Annoying hour, music. Something like yeah. That. yeah. It was kind of a weird show. But mm-hmm. so Jim was my hero, and. Uh, so I just want to put it out there. If anybody has any contacts with PBS, we we would like to become the next Magnificent Obsession, although we want to keep our own name because we like it. Yes, we do. Um, yes, we do. You know, uh, straight talk and uh, straight stuff, actually. And uh, so, anyway, I just I just like to say that if anybody knows anybody at PBS that could get uh, some 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 of our broadcast in, in to them, that would be wonderful. And you can contest. Contact us through our website uh, or um, which is recoveryinternetradio.com. Recoveryinternetradio.com. And we'll, we're going to try to say that at least three more times during the show. So we'll get, we get an average six, something like that. Okay. Um, so anyway, welcome to our show tonight, uh, Straight Stuff on Addictions. Um, our tag tonight is maybe we can keep them from dying. And I, I thought, you know, um, when I was thinking about the title of that show, I thought long and hard before I put that, but I wanted, I decided I wanted to say that because that's really what we're talking about. It's pretty straightforward stuff. So um, so that's the title uh, tonight, and I want to thank Chris to, for doing the engineering. Um, yes, sir. Uh, you, can, you can tweet us at any time, at Rick Atwater. Um, and uh, remember to check out our website, and you can, that's recoveryinternetradio.com, and I think that's four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you can go there to listen to the show at, or any of our archive shows at any time. So um, I think that's it. Oh, I have one more, uh, one more plug, and that is for our friend Colleen at Dirty Laundry Designs. Uh, DirtyLaundryDesigns.com is the website, and she does cards and bookmarks and things like that for recovering occasions. Yeah, you don't you don't find that at Hallmark so much. No, you don't. This Hallmark really, doesn't have a division for recovery. It's a really nice job. I mean, <laughs> it's like it's art, you know what I mean? Like you give somebody a card and you know, this isn't just going to get taught. Oh, that's a nice sentiment whatever. I mean, they're like beautiful pictures. They are. They're really good. I keep I have a bunch in my office that mm-hmm. I keep up on the on the shelf and uh, I have some downstairs. So anyway, uh dirtylaundrydesigns.com um Colleen, uh, and so I hope you take advantage of that. And I think w- I will introduce our guest this evening, Cassandra. Hi. Hi. I'm glad you could come. Thank you for I, having me. I know you came. Yeah, you, you an hour and twenty minutes. That's yeah, a, no, short drive. <laughs> yeah, just a nice little, just a nice little, just, just a, a Sunday nice drive. drive. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. So, um, I know you through. Uh, Chris R., who is the guy, he and his group are the guys who are doing um, the other side, and also, what's the name of their? New Directions. New Directions. Uh, New Directions Addiction Recovery Services. Uh, okay. And you're 
and your piece of that is Wake the Nation. Wake the Nation, which and I'm sorry about the flies, that would be crazy. Uh Wake the Nation um is a that's a great name. Thank you. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean it is. Thank you. And I and I hope and I hope it happens. Um so what's the connection? Tell me again. Wake the Nation is really the advocacy piece of New Directions. Mm -hmm. um, New Directions has quite a few projects. They have the other side, which is the substance-free bar that they opened, and then uh, we are opening an IOP treatment uh, that's coming soon. And then Wake the Nation is really about um, education and awareness and easing the stigma and um, prevention of fatal overdoses. Okay, yeah. And that's pretty specific, the prevention of fatal overdoses. Yes, that's, our, that's what we're focusing on right now. Yeah. Okay, so now let's. So now I guess <clears throat> let's back up to how you, you know, um, flashback. Um, so how you got involved in in this? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I uh, was dating a guy named Michael for mm -hmm. eight years, mm -hmm. and he uh, passed away from an overdose last. Uh, June, last summer, June of 2012, mm -hmm. and it was kind of a shock to me, so um, I had a choice after he died that I could really be depressed mm -hmm. and um, just grieve about it forever, or I could uh, break tradition and start talking about it and bring some awareness to overdose, mm -hmm. and that's what I decided to do. So I um, started Wake the Nation and got involved with New Directions and uh, took things from there. Did you have a, I mean, how did, well, I have a couple, I have a lot of questions, I guess. <clears throat> did you have some background in, in, how did you know what to do? Oh, I did not know what to do. <laughs> you know, it was, um, it was really upsetting because about 12 people from my high school had passed away. In, since I graduated in 2008. And this is, I mean, even though we're talking to people, we don't know where, anywhere from Alaska to Borneo, probably a, you know, um, probably not Borneo, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean. For our listeners in Borneo, we're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> of <laughs> Didn't course, we appreciate you. you. And I don't speak Bornese. Mm. <laughs> Strike but, two, sorry. But we're talking, so, but we're talking about um, suburban Chicago. Right. Um, th there were... Just from my school alone, 12 people who had passed away. And that's in a year or a little it's more? Since graduating, okay. um, which I graduated in 2008. Okay. It was still a ridiculous amount of people. Oh, and yeah. Nobody was talking about it. These deaths were really just going unnoticed, and, um, and uh, no one, I mean, they just weren't even in the newspaper. Parents weren't doing obituaries for their kids. They were ashamed. Mm. And... I said, how long before somebody does something about this and like says it out loud and says there's a problem in this area, and uh, it took me losing someone to be the person to stand up and say enough. Mm. Yeah, and and you know I bet that there were I, I I don't I don't know, but I know here in this we're in a different um, Collar County, but. Um, I know that there are more young people dying of heroin overdoses than there are dying in car accidents or 
I think it's the leading cause of death it in is. that age group. It hmm. is the leading cause of death right now. Yeah. Uh, DuPage County yeah. actually was averaging one death a day last month from opiate overdose. Is that right? And that may be, that may be um, when you say opiate, just for the listener's sake, th then that can mean heroin, that could mean prescription opiates, that could mean also drug combinations that involve opiates. Opiates, right. Yeah. But the key to the overdose, if I'm not mistaken, is the opiates. Yeah, there. that's where the epidemic is. It's in opiates and specifically with heroin. Yeah. Why do you think, and I, I know you're not a doctor and I'm not either, but why, why, is, uh, why, are, why is heroin and other opiates so uh, dangerous physically? Why are so many kids, why are so many kids overdosing? Opiates, um, opiates are very easily accessible. Mm -hmm. uh, it's easy to get a prescription from your doctor for an opiate, mm -hmm. and they're easy to get on the street. And then what happens is uh, heroin is actually cheaper than opiates that you would get on the street. Your prescription would run out. You would get it from a drug dealer. Your drug dealer's prescription would run out. And then you would realize that economically it's cheaper to buy heroin anyways. And by that time, you, you've got to have it? And yes, by that time, you're addicted to the opiates. And then you start doing heroin. And eventually, typically, people start combining drugs and mixing and... Um, that's where it leads to fatal overdose. Okay. And you say that like it, that's a pretty common path. It's very common because so many people are having their teeth pulled and then getting prescribed Vicodin. Right. And um, there's not enough take-back days, which are when communities take back prescription drugs sure. and dispose of them properly. And so they sit in our, you know, in our cabinets and then our mm -hmm. children get a hold of them mm -hmm. and then we end up with addiction. And here we are. Okay. Yeah. We just had a take-back day uh, here in this area, I want to say maybe a month and a half or so ago, and I think they're talking, it was so, so successful the first time, it was going to be an annual thing that I think they decided to do it quarterly. Hmm. Uh, but it's pretty, you know, it's a big deal. It has to be coordinated with, you know, um, the, the local police departments. And, right. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if the drug enforcement, um, the drug enforcement agent, the DEA has to be involved in it to some extent, I believe too. So, but I, I so that's one way to that's one way to um, help in this regard is to have more take back days. Right. If there were more uh, take back days, there'd be less script uh, opiates laying yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. And just for the sake of the listeners, when. Uh, so let's let's just say some of the do you know the names of some of those script opiates? Um, no, not offhand. <laughs> I don't. Okay. Well, th just things like I, I know, like Vicodin. Vicodin is yes, hydrocodone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything really prescribed for pain. Mm -hmm. Most things that are prescribed. There's a few things that aren't, but most of the things that you get commonly, and people don't know what people. I think people don't, don't know what they are. No, they don't know no. that they're. You know, things like Percocets and Percodans and... Well, I think, you know, from my personal experience, you don't really get told that kind of information. I mean, if I go, in, if I went to the dentist and he said, well, you're going to be in pain for a couple of days, just take these pills and sayonara. Okay, thank you very much. But there's no... Um, I think it's really good that you're talking about this 
you know, because I don't think people know. I've never heard of a take-back day. I would, I would just assume if I had extra, I'd just throw it away, or, you know, it would probably just sit in my cupboard. Yeah. But there's people don't even know about take-back days. They don't even, yeah. Yeah, because I think I got, yeah, they gave me, you know, just a couple months ago, like, here's, here's a prescription for Vicodin. Let us know if you need more. Okay. Sure. Codeine is an opiate, by the way. Codeine, sure. And, you know, it's in cough syrup. It's in, you know, pain medication. Anything that ends in, you know, codone is codeine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, and it's sort of like a common, just built into the built into the culture kind of. Oh yeah, the the pharmacies and the doctors they're they're very prescription happy. Mm -hmm. They're just giving prescriptions out. Yeah. And so that's how it becomes so easily accessible. Sure. And then the education is sure. lacking, and how to know what an opiate is and the effects of opiates and how powerful they can be and become addicting and what to do with your prescriptions when you don't need them, you're done with them. The education just really isn't there. No, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. At least it hasn't. I don't, I don't see it. And I think the problems that we see, you know, where, where we are, where we sit right now are very similar to the problems that you, where where you are, and I think probably generalizable to the whole Chicago suburban area. Yeah, well, addiction used to be really, uh, drugs used to really be just in the city primarily, mm -hmm. like that was the central, mm -hmm. the hub mm -hmm. forum, and you would see uh, teenagers going down Heroin Highway, which is 290, mm -hmm. into the city to get their drugs and bring it back to home in their collar counties and these nice communities. and. Um, really, it's not like that anymore. It's here. Like heroin, opiates, all the drugs are here in our own backyards now. You don't have to go into the city to get no, them anymore. No, you don't. And I don't think people realize. What's the is how how did that happen? Do you know, I mean, how did how does that occur? Is it is it gang related? Is it? Uh, uh, you know, there could it could there could always be gang affiliation, and and they bring it to the suburbs. But really, um, your typical um, person with an addiction is a 20 to 30 year old white male, mm -hmm. often with an education, mm -hmm. living in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. So, um, Not poor, not urban, right. not a person of color. Right. So there, the, the demand was just here in the suburbs and in the collar counties, and so the drugs moved to where they were needed. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't think people know that. Yeah, you know, and and the the thing about it is that it's one thing. The reason I the reason I was so interested in talking to you is because it's one thing to make people aware that there's a problem, and you know, like oh, I don't know, uh, average average mom and dad of uh, a junior high school age kid who hears this and goes, the first thing you do is, oh my God, I didn't really know that. That scares me to death. What am I going to do? <laughs> you know, that's the next part, and you know, so that's really why. And I mean, I, we don't need to talk about the specifics of that just yet, because I do want to get to it. But, um, but that's that's why I wanted to talk to you because there's not enough. What do we do? There's lots of, of this is what we got, and let's let's all freak out. <laughs> that's easy, you know. That that's easy. 
I personally, I don't know what you think about this, but let's, let me put this in the form of a question. Do you think that people can be scared enough that they won't use heroin? You know, I don't think scare tactics uh, necessarily work for everyone. Mm-hmm. They work for me. <laughs> <laughs> I did the D.A.R.E. program and it worked for me. Um, D.A.R.E. has been announced as a big failure now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because it focused on scare tactics and that just doesn't necessarily work for everyone. Right. Um, so, so no, I don't think that people can necessarily be scared out of using drugs. Yeah, I mean, but you know, but for some people, like you said, for it, some people it will work. It got enough. You got, you were just one of those kids. You told me, you told me, I, you described yourself as naive. I think I even put it in the. I don't know. <laughs> did I use the word naive in the blurb? Did yes, I? Yes, yes. And I was definitely naive. Um, I there was the only education I had about drugs in grade school, and then in high school there was a semester of health and. In that semester, which is you know three or four months, they cram sex education, drugs and alcohol, and eating disorder. <laughs> <laughs> and drivers in. Yeah. <laughs> into, yeah. into a quick you know one one hour class period, and they teach you about the effects of drugs, and it's really that scare tactic. They don't teach you how to recognize the symptoms of drug use in people that you know, and that is huge in terms of preventing someone from having a fatal overdose um, or you know, some, getting someone treatment and help. can't do that if you can't recognize it. Uh, that's something I really would like to see them teaching mm-hmm. because the point is that the drugs are here and they're not going away. Mm-hmm. We might as well learn to work with them. Right. And that's, that's different in that perspective. And I use the term public health perspective to describe it. And that that perspective we're we're sh- we're short on. I think we have um, we have uh, the what I would call the the legal side, where uh, you know I think the you know the enforcement side. Let's put it that way. We have you know drug enforcement people. We have the Northern Illinois Task Force. We have the local local police departments that are doing their jobs, and all of that all put together is all necessary. But it won't. It's not enough. It won't. No, it won't stop people enough. from using drugs. It won't stop people from getting drugs. It might limit the supply, but that's about it. You know, yeah. I um, there's a lot of talk about the war on drugs being a big failure. Yeah. And and moving towards a public health perspective, mm-hmm. which I like. I like moving towards a public health perspective. We absolutely need that. That's where focus should be. Um, I don't necessarily agree that we should give up on all other strategies that have been used in the past, but definitely look to change them and certainly look to focus on the public health perspective and the fact that it's, it's a brain addiction is a brain disease. Mm-hmm. And with any other illness, you would treat a person with an illness, but for some reason we don't treat addiction, and that's really what we need to be doing as opposed to putting someone with an addiction in jail for possession, having them self-detox, and then get out of jail. Their with tolerance is lower, and they overdose and die. And that's when they're most in, da- in, in danger of overdosing, isn't it? Yes. Um, people are most 
likely, they're most likely to overdose after their tolerance has gone down, which can happen in as short as three days. Mm-hmm. Um, it could happen after jail time or coming out of treatment. So in other words, they've been somewhere without the opiates that that decreases their to- their their body's tolerance for it. Absolutely. But they their brain tells them they need the same amount. Exactly. They end up using the same amount and then they have a, an overdose. And an overdose physically is what? What what is an what is an overdose? What happens physically in an overdose? A, an overdose stops your your airway. Mm. Um so you can't breathe. And then uh It, it, shut, it kind of shuts down the brain. Mm-hmm. Respiratory distress, I think. Right. It shuts down that, that, that part of your brain that tells you to breathe. Right. Yes. A and B, airway and breathing. Um, and so uh, that person basically goes, passes out cold and begins the process of being fatal, having fatal overdose. And so um, that's where naloxone really comes in. And that's where you now maybe we're 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 about we're about halfway through our time, so maybe it would be a good time to take a break. It certainly would. Uh thank you for, for sharing so far. We're happy to have you on the show. Uh we're gonna be back with you in just a couple minutes. Enjoy the tunes. We'll see you in a second. Some nights I say I'm casting in my feathers. Some nights I call it a draw. Some nights I wish that my lips could build a castle. Some nights I wish they'd just fall off. But I still wake up. I still see a ghost. Oh, Lord, I feel not sure what I stand for. Oh, what do I stand for? What do I stand for? Most nights I don't know anymore.
she call us And then I look into my nephew's eyes Man, you wouldn't believe The most amazing thing They can come from Some terrible Welcome back. Thank you for uh, staying with us. Hope you've enjoyed the show so far, and thank you for listening to Recovery Internet Radio. Uh, again, you can reach us anytime by our website, recoveryinternetradio.com, and listen to all of our archive shows or listen to the one we are currently broadcasting every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. We're having a great conversation right now. Uh, I'd like to get right back into it. Um, would you uh, Would you just repeat what the tag was for uh, tonight's show, Rick? The tag for tonight's show was maybe we can stop them from dying. Yeah, I thought that was a, a you know, a, a appropriate kind of on the mm-hmm. on point, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get back to it. Okay, we will do just that. Um, I think what we were doing, we talked a little bit at the break of of how we we kind of ended um, talk, just starting to talk about naloxone, and then I <clears throat> excuse me, and I said I, I'd like to step back and and talk a little bit about Michael. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to um I kind of want to honor him a little bit that way with with the show. So, can you tell us a little bit about Michael? Well, Michael and I met when we were 14 and 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um he probably is the fun, was the funniest person next to my dad that I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> um very charming, very sweet, a total gentleman. Uh I was attracted to him. He loves children. I love children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, um, you know, we started dating really young and really kind of grew together. Um, I give him a lot of credit for making me the woman I am today. Um, I was probably very insecure as a teenager, mm-hmm. and he really made me very confident mm-hmm. and gave me the the everything I needed to kind of be successful in life mm-hmm. as, a, as an individual. So, mm-hmm. um, he was really amazing and a wonderful guy to me. And um, we have a, a four-year-old son together, um, and he had a lot of aspirations in life, and he was just really an amazing guy. Very friendly and yeah. welcoming and inviting tons of friends. Very compassionate. Mm-hmm. He was a wonderful person. Yeah, he sounds like a great guy, and he and he was 
um, you said that he had been in treatment and and gotten straightened up to some extent before you even knew him or well, yeah, early I, on in your relationship? When I met him at 14, he had actually already um, had an addiction from, mm. I think, the time when he was 12 years old mm-hmm. and um, had gotten clean and, and wasn't using. Um, so you didn't really know him using very much. Well, that's not to say he and I didn't experiment in high school. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he wasn't um, the flow, full-blown addict that you would anticipate someone being. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it really, we were experimenting mm-hmm. with drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol when we were young. It, it wasn't a necessity at that point mm-hmm. in our lives. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I guess I didn't really know him as an addict. And then, and then later, as as you as you proceeded, did the, 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 you did you see it progress, or was it? Uh, no, you know what? There was a day when I said, "I've done my experimenting and I'm done," and he kind of actually followed my lead, mm-hmm. and neither one of us really did drugs after that. Mm-hmm. Um, his death came as a complete shock to me. Mm. There. I mean, I was naive in that I didn't get the education to recognize mm-hmm. someone in trouble. Mm-hmm. And he, I think, was really ashamed of it and hid it from me very well and uh, hid it from everyone mm-hmm. very well. I mean, mm-hmm. we were all shocked that he passed and from what he passed. Yeah. So he wouldn't, have, you know, so it was he was, he was a, a, a great guy, uh, had aspirations. Had, had a good relationship, had a kid. I mean, just so people know, I mean, because we're talking about stigma, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't, you said to me at, at the break, pe- addicts don't want to be addicted. No, they absolutely don't. They don't wake up one morning and say, today I'm going to get addicted to heroin or to any opiate. Mm-hmm. And when they say they want to be clean and sober, they mean it. It's just that it's not, it's not a want them. Drugs are drugs are needed. They physically, psychologically, they depend on them. Right. And it's a lot of work mm-hmm. to get clean and sober, and it's very difficult for them. It's not an easy thing. It's not just a desire. It's it's really a need. And if you don't have the if you don't have the disease, it's hard to understand why somebody would be compelled to do things that look to the outside world like self destructive and stupid. Right. People think it's a choice, and it's addiction is not a choice. Mm. No. no one chooses that. You know, and I think you mentioned a little bit earlier, maybe it was during the break as well, that, you know, when you talk about stigma, you know, you might think, well, I don't associate with those kinds of people, so I wouldn't know what to look for, or, I, you know, maybe that's not very common. But, you know, what, like what you're saying is that you, you, wouldn't, you might not know. Right. The truth is that more people are affected by addiction of some sort than anything else, any other disease. And um, my own mother (laughs) was just telling me, I don't associate with those people. And I said to her, you are associating with those people every single day, and you just don't know it. (laughs) Yeah. So they're they're not those people. Right. They're they're just people. They're just people. people. Uh And it's important to remind everyone that. Anyone with an addiction is also somebody's child, somebody's mm-hmm. sibling, somebody's aunt and uncle, probably somebody's parent. Mm-hmm. Addiction doesn't discriminate. 
doesn't care what gender you are, what race you are, you know, who your family is, what your religion is. It does not care. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, it, it's scary to think, you know, as you mentioned earlier, have, having lost that many people just in your high school class. You know, if that was anything else, if that was tuberculosis, you know, the CDC would be out and, you know, we'd have helicopters and there'd be, you know, <laughs> there would be a crisis. It They'd be, be interviewing citizens on the street. And, but yeah. instead, right. you know, they're not, they're not even running the obits because parents are embarrassed or, exactly. you know, people don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's good that we're, and in the, you're, in you're de- talking and about this. And in, in about the obits in defense of the newspaper, it's not the newspaper that's making that decision, really. It's the parents. No, it's the family. The families yeah. decide mm-hmm. not to say it, and they don't put anything out there at all because they don't, you know. And I've heard that. I've heard the same thing a, a million times. No, not quite a million, but maybe a couple hundred thousand uh, from parents who, you know, who, who are even ashamed to talk about their own family's problems. It's just... Uh, which it's, only it's reinforces deal. the negative yeah. stigma and makes it more difficult for people who are in who are in addi- who have an addiction to get treatment and to be open and honest and say I have a problem and I'm sick and I need help. Whenever I do I I do some heroin workshop educational stuff and whenever I at the end of the workshop I always have everybody say heroin. <laughs> out loud, H E R O I N. Say it, heroin. You know, just I mean, really, because people don't say it. You know, they don't say the word. Oh, it's taboo. It's taboo. It's not a word totally you say. Taboo. It's kind of like goes around. You know, incest. You know, you probably would say that about as many times as you would say. You know, it's just not comfortable for people. So, um, all right. So uh, that's that because I good. I'm glad we talked about um, stigma a little bit and and about about Michael a little bit and uh, and and I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because it's, I can see that it's a loss, and it is a good person, you know, a good mm-hmm. person. We had a guy on the show one time. Uh, his his moniker was Mr. Droghead because he knew everything about drugs, and he had he he was a heroin addict as well. And he said to me one time, um, you know, some of the best people I know are drug addicts. And he said it with a big smile on his face. And it's probably all the people that he knew, but. But some but, of the best ones. But well. some of the best yeah. ones. Yeah. But you know what? I, I never forgot that. that. I never forgot that because he meant that from his heart. Because he was a good guy. Mm-hmm. Is a good guy. And um, he he was saying in his own way, don't you know? Don't stigmatize. Right. Yeah. Well, because the current stigma is that you know your drug addict is is a homeless person living under some viaduct. Mm-hmm. Or a person who will you know rip you off in a heartbeat, or you know. Sell your, you yeah. know, sell your laptop or and whatever. That's, that's just really not the case. So let's let's uh, let's slip over to what you're doing now and and how that's going. So we we talked about naloxone. Say what say what naloxone is and what it does. Naloxone or Narcan is an opiate overdose antidote. It's basically like an epinephrine pen to someone mm-hmm. with an allergy. Mm-hmm. So if someone goes into an overdose. Um, you can administer naloxone or Narcan, and it basically just reverses the effects of the opiates on the brain, and it snaps a person out of an overdose. Now, naloxone is the chemical name, and Narcan is the brand name. Is that? Am I right about that? I think it's the other way around. <laughs> okay, Narcan is the drug. Narcan is the drug, and naloxone is. Um, 
Okay. Just the brand. Cheaper version of it. Oh, cheaper version of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's like a, and it comes in a in a syringe and it comes it, well it comes in a vial and you get a syringe and anyone um, can carry and administer naloxone. They have to go through a short training session, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which can be like as short as an hour, mm-hmm. and uh, then they they learn to administer it and how to recognize an overdose and. From that point on, they can carry and administer it whenever necessary. And that's legal. That's legal. Okay. And do do so seems to me like everyone should carry it. Every, I mean, <laughs> everyone that that has like like a a guy like me who works with with uh, you know addicted people, you know, should probably have something handy or should at least know about I it. I think teachers in high school should be teachers, trained sure. to carry it and mm-hmm. administer it. They should have it at school. With and them. they don't. They don't. Um, How about school nurses today? I I doubt it. You would be surprised. Even uh, not every ambulance is equipped with really and and police cars. Nope. Don't typically have them. Hmm. There are some. um, I give a lot of credit to the police officers, the chief of police, and um, the sheriffs who are are kind of bringing it to the police stations and mm-hmm. requesting that their officers all be trained. Mm-hmm. There are some doing that. Um, I've unfortunately not had luck with a lot of my area police officers being unwilling to. What, why do you think that is? Uh, liabilities and uh, the stigma. I think it, it, if a chief of police says, I'm going to train all of my officers, that's acknowledging that there's a problem. Oh, okay. And then they don't want to do that. Okay, okay, sure. And, you know, in, in to some degree, in, in their defense, those guys, the frontline guys on the street, they have they have a lot to do. Right. They have a lot to do. But mm-hmm. in a life-and-death situation, you would think that... You would choose life. You would choose, <laughs> you would choose life. And so, yeah, you know, and I know, at least in this area, I'm told that the... Uh, a squad car is dispatched at the same time an ambulance is. It, you know, you know, oftentimes the police arrive before the before the uh, uh, rescue squad, mm-hmm. and, and so they'd be the first responder technically. Right, mm-hmm. and that's why I would love to see every police officer being trained to carry and administer it. How hard is it? I mean, how hard is it to administer? Oh, it's not. <laughs> well, you were saying the training maybe is as short as a, maybe an hour. Oh yeah, it can. I mean, and it, it really can be shorter than that. I went and picked up a ton of naloxone for an opiate overdose mm-hmm. training session that I'm going to be offering for free <laughs> and giving okay. it away. And on my way home from getting it, I stopped at a friend's house and trained him in about 25 minutes. There you go. And showed him how to actually use it. Um, it's important to note that it can't be abused. Um, Diloxone can't get anyone high. It does absolutely nothing to people if they try to administer it for fun. won't do anything to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, be the same as administering water. Right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And um, it's an intramuscular um, shot, so there is no trying to find a vein. Oh, it just okay. goes into the muscle. I mean, it's fairly easy to... Administer. I think even I can handle that. So, so um, now I think the in some places in the country they they will distribute um, 
Narcan to addicts at certain locations on the on the you know on the street in in you know clinics and even even you know hand them out to addicts and people uh, there's a there is the idea out there that in some way if you do that you're encouraging addiction. Yeah, you know I've I've heard that before. Yeah. So talk <laughs> speak to that for me. And so um here is my theory. You cannot get clean and sober if you're dead. Because you're dead. Right. So if um someone has an addiction, I would rather give them naloxone and tell them I don't condone using and I'm not encouraging it. Um, but that I want them to live, so I'm giving them naloxone in case it's needed, and I want them to live so that at some point when they're ready and able to get clean, they can. Mm-hmm. So what we're do- what, what you're doing is very clearly preventing overdose deaths. Yes, I'm preventing the overdose from being fatal. I don't condone or encourage continuing to use. No, uh, of course not. And do you think? I mean, I mean, I, I have to ask the question because I know that that that's the, there is that thought oh, yeah. form out there that in some way, if you if you help an addict in any other way but detox, that you're encouraging addiction. So, so that's I'm glad you sort of set the record yeah, straight no, on I'm that. I'm encouraging life, <laughs> not <That's> an, addiction. <laughs> right, right, and. You know, um, you know. So that's. Do you hear that from people, or is it just? Have you heard that? I have heard it. It's it's definitely been asked before, and, yeah. and I've addressed it the same way. Is that no? I don't. I obviously don't condone using. I don't know anyone who would. Right. Um, I simply care about people, and I want them to be alive so that they have the opportunity to go through treatment and get clean and sober. Right. And that's the difference between between a prevention program, an enforcement program, and a public health program. Right. And that's that's a public health issue. And in some places, the and even in this area, even though it's it's sort of on the down low, they, they do uh, clean needle uh, clean needle programs, mm-hmm. needle exchange, mm-hmm. um, with the idea that, you know, people, you know, get sick, get Get you know HIV, get uh, you know uh, d- different you know bloodborne pathogenic diseases through dirty needles, and it's better to keep them alive so they can get clean and sober than Absolutely. have them sick. But there's a lot of resistance to that to the needle exchange. There is, and it it all has to do with the the, the stigmas mm-hmm. associated with addiction and sure. specifically with heroin. Sure. You know, and there's, I mean, we're, we're, uh, this is not the only, I mean, there's places in the country that are much more, I've done a lot of research about this to see, because you get sort of tunnel vision if you live in one place, but there's, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, King County, which is the Seattle and surrounding suburbs, mm-hmm. are very proactive in their approach to heroin addiction and how they handle it and public health and a lot of the ideas that they've had of, have you know branched out even you know Boston area New York area doing a lot more with public health than than uh, than we are here. Yeah, um, it, it is important though that I mentioned um, you were asking about naloxone being legal and 
the laws are different in every state. Mm-hmm. So here in Illinois, you can carry and administer it. Um, other states, not necessarily legal to do. Uh-huh. Um, but you can be prescribed it by a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be prescribed to anyone, say a parent of someone who has mm-hmm. an addiction, and they can then use it to administer it on someone who has an addiction. Oh, okay. So you can get a prescription for it. It's not necessarily... Um, like in Chicago, we have the Chicago Recovery Alliance, mm-hmm. where you can just go and pick up naloxone, and anyone can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you do, in other states, you may need a prescription, but here in Illinois, anyone. Can where, so where would you get it? So you can get it from either your doctor or um, here in Illinois, we have the Chicago Recovery Alliance. Um, you go down to Taylor Street in Chicago, mm-hmm. and they have a warehouse where they... Um, will will train you to use and administer it. Um, they have a video out, don't they? They do. Do you yeah. remember the? Can you just go to Chicago Recovery Alliance and and then go to the training video? I believe their website is anypositivechange.org, maybe. Um, but I mean, you could Google. Yeah. <laughs> you could Google Chicago Recovery Alliance, and they will. And I know that that DVD is actually available on their website as well as on YouTube. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it in both places. And I have a ton to give away. You have you have a ton <laughs> I have of naloxone. I have a ton of the of naloxone, of the DVDs, okay. of everything. You, all the you, those, those come with you when you do the training? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, I use them for the training. And when, when are you going to do the training and where? I have a training session planned um, for August 25th. Mm-hmm. It's a Sunday from 2.30 to 4.30 in Western Springs at mm-hmm. the Thomas Ford Memorial Library. Okay. All right. It's free. There's no cost, and anyone can come to it. Okay, great. Would you um, would you consider doing another training up around here sometime? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll I'll make the arrangements. Okay. Right, unless Chris already has that in mind. Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. No. Well, I, I think we need to do that. And I want to also. Well, I mean, you know, this is like. I suppose we could do this on the air or off the air, but we'll do it on the air. Um, we have um, a task, uh, uh, it's called the HEAT Task Force. It's a heroin awareness uh, task force that got formed not too long ago up here. And there's, um, we're, we're a little short on, on the public health side of things there. I'd love to invite you to be involved in that if you... Absolutely. I'll make sure you get the information. And the more training... That and I'd love people to, have the better because there's a lot of law enforcement people there, and I think they need to hear what you have to say, just by way of just just you know information broadening you know the perspective of how how things could be handled. That'd be uh, be real helpful for, for all of us. To. Okay, all right. Um, so uh, and then so that's what that's what are we getting to? What Wake the Nation is is about? Yes, Wake the Nation is really um, very educational based mm-hmm. um, and getting into the high schools to talk to the students about um, what addiction does both to the individual, how to recognize it, and how it affects mm-hmm. family members and treatment options, mm-hmm. as well as naloxone, and mm-hmm. then um, also the training and administering of naloxone. Mm-hmm. Those are our our main focuses right now is mm-hmm. getting the proper education out there into the schools and 
working to prevent people from dying? Um, I think I have one um, one last question for you, and then and then I think we've covered pretty much what we wanted to get to today. And that but that question is, do you feel like what you're doing has um, has helped you heal? I think it's helped me heal. It's also, <laughs> I've re I really dove right into this after he passed away when I realized we need to be having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, <laughs> it's probably helped me avoid grieving. <laughs> 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 um, but knowing that, um, knowing that I'm doing good for other people who are in the same situation, you know, I couldn't help Michael. I didn't even know. I wasn't educated enough. Knowing that I can do it for other people um, is, is definitely helping me yeah. to deal with my loss. It's, it's certainly a help. Um, I always say people go into schools and they, they do some kind of talk about their loss and they always say, if I could just save one life, then you know that would be meaningful in regards to the person I've lost. Mm -hmm. And I kind of say, screw that. <laughs> I don't want to save one life. I want to save hundreds. Right. And I am going to keep going until I do because I refuse to bury another classmate without trying to prevent it from happening. Good for you. Good for you. I thank you for coming and talking to us today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Yep. Um yeah, I think we had a good conversation. Um, I want to thank our listeners um, out there who have uh, listened in and uh, hopefully got some good stuff. And um, thank you also for making us a successful little underground support source for the recovering community. Um, we'll email out our reminders for next week's show uh, at the end of the week. And um, if you want to be on our mailing list, Go to our website at recoveryinternetradio.com. And I think that's six, isn't it? I believe so. It's a really nice email. You know, Rick does spend a lot of time on that. So if you get it and, and you know, maybe this, this isn't for you or this show doesn't speak to you, send it to a friend and ask, you know, if you've got somebody in your life that you think might benefit from it. We'd love to, we'd love for you to pass that on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, go, yeah. And again, go to our website and sign up if you'd like to get one and do, please pass it on to somebody you think that could use it. Um, you can get all our archive shows at recoveryinternetradio.com, um, and we have a lot of them these days, so we've got quite a collection. I think we have 73 as of today. 73. Sure. Yeah, but who's counting? Um, we, also, we also would love to hear from you out there so we know where you are. We don't know who's listening because we're an internet radio show. We don't know where our listeners are from. Uh, so let us know that. And as always, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and we'll see you at 8 p.m. next Sunday evening. Thank you. Thank you.